What are some of the anxieties and challenges facing women who are the main breadwinners in their family? And for women working in male-dominated workspaces, what other additional challenges do we face, especially if we are from an ethnically diverse background? Leadership coach Jenny Garrett OBE shares with me her expertise working with women and corporations at the highest level and also speaks honestly and openly about the anxieties and challenges she herself has faced in her life and career. This is the Anxiety Advantage podcast. The theme for this season two is courage. We can often look at other people and admire their courage, but think, I can't possibly do that. I don't have their courage. But actually, I believe you do. In the course of working on this podcast, I have come across so many people who seem to have got everything together, but who have told me that they feel anxious too. We who feel anxious, we're not alone. And I believe we all have the courage to step outside our comfort zone and live the life we want. So, in this season two, we ask, is anxiety calling us to become our most courageous selves? I'm Yang Mei Ui. I'm a writer and a podcaster. And perhaps, as I've said before, I might also introduce myself as an anxious person. But I wonder... What would it be like to reframe that idea of myself and instead think of myself as a courageous person? I hope you will join me on this exploration and perhaps also see what that feels like for you to think of yourself for a change as someone who is courageous. But before we start, I'd like to say... A special thank you to everyone who has given this podcast a positive star rating. This will hopefully mean that it will raise the podcast up the rankings so more people who are interested in mental health and anxiety issues will be able to find us. Also, thank you to Dr. Debbie Aitken, who left this lovely review of the podcast. She says, The Anxiety Advantage offers an inspiring perspective on anxiety. This podcast is really worth a listen. It's quite unusual for me, she says, to listen to a podcast about mental health and feel motivated and inspired. But this one offers a really fresh and original perspective. Thank you again, Dr. Debbie Aitken, and everyone who has supported this podcast with your positive star ratings. Right, on with the show. My guest today is Jenny Garrett OBE. Jenny is an award-winning leadership coach empowering women in the workplace, particularly female breadwinners. She designs and delivers leadership programs to support staff from ethnically diverse groups in organizations and is a passionate advocate for inclusive leadership, race and allyship. Jenny was listed in Brummel Magazine's Top 30 City Innovators in 2016. She is the founder of social enterprise Rocking Your Teens, 
which equips teens with the skills that leaders of the future need. Jenny is author of Rocking Your Role and her new book, Equality versus Equity, Tackling Issues of Race in the Workplace, will be published in February 2023. Jenny Garrett, thank you so much for joining me on the Anxiety Advantage podcast. I'm delighted to be here. Fabulous. Uh, Thank you so much for inviting me. You are well known for your work empowering women, in particular female breadwinners. What are some of the common anxieties facing female breadwinners? And how can we find our courage to meet the challenges that uh, being a female breadwinner brings? I think that there are many anxieties and challenges when it comes to being a female breadwinner. Um, and I think one of the first is maybe less around us and maybe more around society's expectations of what it means to be a woman. We're supposed to be carers for elderly relatives or young children or, or even our colleagues in the workplace, as well as trying to strive to look after our families, sometimes financially sometimes actually morally and ethically supporting them. And I think there's quite a weight on our shoulders. Um, and I think when we focus in one area, which might be work and breadwinning, we're often judged as not being great and in the other areas, whether that's caring or supporting, nurturing or keeping, keeping the home in order. So there's an awful lot on our shoulders. I think one of the big anxieties is you know, what does society expect of me um, versus what I can deliver? Is that even realistic? And if I fall short, what does that mean for me as a woman, as a person? I think that's one of the, the main areas. I think another area, again, societal, but to do with stereotypes. And when we are seen to strive for our careers, when we are ambitious, often we're called an alpha female and that goes against us. So the same qualities that might be exhibited by a man, for us are not valued um, and in fact can go against us. We won't be be judged or seen in the same way when we negotiate for our salaries, when we self-promote, when we uh, ambitiously go for what we want. So these things can go against us. And I think that there's quite a lot that can happen in relationships too. It depends on what sort of relationship you have. The inner relationship often there is someone, um, if you're with an, in a, a male and female relationship, that the man might often want to be the breadwinner. Uh, I say want very loosely, uh, may have been socialized to believe that they should be the breadwinner and therefore might find it really difficult to accept your role and find their place in, in the way in which they can contribute to the relationship and feel valued and valid in the relationship. So uh, let's just stay with the anxieties and explore that a little bit, because I think a lot of our listeners, and certainly myself, I'm from Malaysia originally, and there is this underlying uh, expectation of of a woman who works is, oh, look at her, you know, she's a hard-nosed businesswoman, and her poor husband, she doesn't come home in time to cook for him, and that kind of thing. And that is a little outdated, and I'm not saying all Chinese people are like that, but I've, I've, I'm aware of that. And also in, in the workplace, sometimes I started work in the 1980s and I think things have improved. Uh, but I would find as I became a more senior lawyer, 
you know, it, it, you're in a meeting with a group of men and there's an expectation that you'd go and make the coffee or make the tea. And I actually quite a difficult thing to resist that, to be in yourself, not harshly going, I'm not going to make the tea or being difficult, but, but somehow in a gracious way, reminding them, actually, I'm the senior lawyer or in, in relationships, particularly, I think it, it, there is an expectation on men to earn more highly than, than the woman. And I suppose actually for some men, that's not necessarily what they want to do. They may want to be creative and stay at home. And, and I know a, a couple of some good friends actually where the husband is the house husband. And that's really unusual. And that can be a little bit difficult. I think in a social, the couple are fine with it, but in a social situation, there's, oh, oh, you're at home. So perhaps if we can just unpick some of that a little bit more before we, we go on to talk about how we actually come out of, of that. I, I agree with you. Um, there are so many challenges there. I think that idea of you know, the man being a house husband and how that doesn't meet the stereotypes expected of men can be really difficult. I think the men in those situations, it's about actually um, recognizing what you bring to the relationship. Maybe you bring caregiving. I did a talk with someone a few years ago now, and he was a house husband, and he described himself as being like the pit in the um, McLaren car racing that uh, she'd go, she'd go out to work. She'd come back. He'd polish her wheels, buff her up and get her out again. Um, and that's I love that way of describing it. So he was clear on what his role was and he was quite proud to take on that role of being a very supportive person. And I think the other thing to always remember is it's a for a time, isn't it? You know, we don't know what the next decade will bring for you in your relationship. You might be the main earner now. Your partner might become the main earner in the future. So uh, for me, nothing is ever permanent. And it's always about really finding your way through the situation you're in now and really celebrating and making the most of it. So I think that's important to consider. In the workplace, it is very challenging for women. I think one of the first things is that um, your line manager, the person who's responsible for your salary, can often think that you're coming to work uh, in a way temporarily. So if you're early in your career, coming to work before you have children um, and then perhaps not really caring about your career, there can be assumption around that or an assumption that yours will always be the second income, not the main income. And as a result, that you don't need to earn so much, which I think has really fed into that gender pay gap issue that we have. So for me, being really clear that um, your income matters to your family and that you are a main earner in your family is something that I would share in the workplace so that my, my boss understands we shouldn't have to because there should be just, you know, equal pay, but there isn't. And, and I think that humor can be a great way to, um, uh, be able to diffuse some of the sexism and the microaggressions we experience in the workplace, you know, taking it in turn. So highlighting it, but doing it in a low key way. Uh, yeah, I'll make the tea today, but don't forget it's your turn next time. Or, you know, just finding ways to say that, show that you're sharing it. Ultimately, the best thing that could happen is to have allies in the workplace. So having male allies who actually step in and say, why, why do we keep asking, you know, whoever they are? Why do we keep asking them to make the tea? Why are we asking them to take note? Um, shouldn't we be sharing this around? So 
having men do it for you is much better because if it's always us, we can seem like we have a chip on our shoulder and we can seem like we're coming just from our perspective. But when the gaze comes from someone else and they highlight it, it's more likely to be listened to. Again, not the ideal situation. We should be able to say it. We should be able to be listened to and it should be action. But male allies can be fantastic in the workplace and I'm finding more and more of them. So that's a really, really powerful suggestion. But how do we engage and, and bring in the, the allies? What are the skills in order to do that? Yeah, I think one of the things you can do is actually you'll know who your male allies are, but what you could do is ask them to actually talk in the moment rather than talking behind the scenes. I have an example of a client I was coaching who in a meeting had quite a rude colleague, actually. The colleague sort of said, uh, she asked the question and the colleague said, yes, I've said that already. Weren't you listening? And was really quite rude to her. And afterwards, some colleagues came and said, well, that was out of order. How are you feeling? Um, and for me, an act of allyship would be to say in the moment rather than ask me afterwards. So uh, asking your allies to in the moment call in behavior that's not okay to say, oh, you know, I didn't hear it either. It's not just her. Please, can you repeat yourself and explain what's going on? So people coming out in the moment and doing it. In the Obama administration, there's a really nice example of women being allies to each other. So when a woman made a point in a meeting, other women would amplify it. They'd say, oh, that's a really good point. I'd like to hear more. Or where should we take that point that you've just made? And really just amplify voices. So allyship can look like that too. So can you tell us a little bit more about some of your clients and their the issues that they came to you with as female breadwinners so that we can picture some of the struggles. And I'm sure uh, many of us will go, oh, yeah, you know, I've, I've experienced that. And then sort of how you worked with them to change behaviours, to build confidence and, and that kind of thing. In terms of my clients, they come from many different directions and many different experiences. Uh, I think one of the big things is conversations about money and how to manage money when you were the main earner. Do you put all the money in one account and just say it's our money? Um, do you have two accounts and come together for joint bills? Do you manage the purse strings fully and give your partner some kind of, some, some of the money? How do you do that? And a lot of that is about your attitude to money. You know, even though you're the main earner, if your partner is better with money than you, then you might want to ask them to manage it. However, if you're the sensible one, then maybe you should hold on to it. So it's about you having conversations about money. There's, a lot of research about what causes arguments in relationships. In-laws, household chores and money are the top three. Um, so finding ways to have the conversations about money are important. And actually in my book, Rocking Your Role, I do have a framework for that that can help couples start to think about that a little bit more and think about how they handle their money. Secondly, I think that women can feel like they're just being everything. You know, they're bringing in the money, they're doing all the housework, they're doing the chores, doing the fixing, doing the DIY, doing the household administration, looking after children or elderly relatives, pet, just doing it all. And I think that can really lead to burnout. Um, I think particularly some women who are in minority, have minority backgrounds. So black women, for example, 
I think that we can really push ourselves to be super strong. I can handle it all. I don't need anyone else. And that can lead to burnout. So that ability to be vulnerable and be supported in the role of female breadwinner, I think can be something that women struggle with as well. And also getting help, getting help and support, whether that's from a partner, whether that's sort of outside support in terms of someone doing cleaning or ironing or or, or whatever it is, just getting help and support can be something that women struggle with. And I think also that sort of letting go piece of when you're trying to be in control of everything, uh, how can I let go of something and relax? You know, the ability just to relax and enjoy what you're crafting and creating for your life. I'm, I'm thinking about how I might feel in terms of asking for help. And that has happened with me before um, because I would want to be strong. I was the main breadwinner and I wanted to be, um, I'm in charge, I'm control. I, I, I can cope with this. And there's an anxiety around appearing vulnerable, actually asking for help. And one of the most, I think, courageous things that we can do is actually admit that we're vulnerable. It's a bit counterintuitive that actually appearing too strong is, is actually not, not courageous because you're not allowing your someone because you're you're afraid to ask someone to help because you you expect maybe they'll reject you or they'll say oh don't be ridiculous or you you can cope with this or perhaps with money not having the conversation with money is because you don't want an argument with your partner and so the fear of having the argument actually is is the problem but if you can be open as as you're saying um, how, so how can we um, find the courage to be more open, to be more vulnerable and not try and take it on and hold it all in. Yeah, I, I would say it's definitely baby steps. It's not something that's easily done for, for many, many people. And I would say, I would think about what's the one small thing that potentially you could get some help with and then see how it goes. Those women who work long hours and then are also doing all of the cooking and the cleaning no, I would say at least let your partner do the cooking once in a while. And as if it doesn't poison you, <laughs> it might not be the most healthy food. It might not be exactly what you'd want, but is that really going to cause you a problem? So it, that's kind of what can I let go of and know that it won't be the end of the world. And sometimes it can actually surprise you that it might be better than you expect. So whether that's you know, looking after children, pets, elderly relatives, whether that's doing the cleaning, whether that's uh, doing a bit of cooking, just sort of letting it go and not doing that sort of, well, this isn't good enough or, you know, I would have done it better, but just thinking this is good enough, actually, and it's a step in the right direction and probably helps whoever is helping you feel useful in your life. Because one of the the big things that um, I personally realized is that when you do do it all, people around you feel like they can't help and they feel pretty useless um, because that's how you make them feel. And so helping people feel useful in your life helps them to do more and more and more. Once they've done something and it's gone okay, they think perhaps I can do a bit more and perhaps I can do something differently. And I think just accepting that different is okay. Yours is not the only way. I, I think there can be a lot of responsibility and a little sense of perfection or I'm the only one who can do it right. And that will never be the case. None of us are perfect. And 
And we're definitely the, not the only ones who can cook a good dinner or clean a bathroom or, or any of those sorts of things. So think about what's important to worry about versus what's not important to worry about. I love that example a bit earlier that you mentioned for the husband who can, who saw himself as the engineer guy in the Formula One pit, yeah. helping his wife polish the wheels and, and all that. Because I don't know whether there is a, a male anxiety around uh, the one wearing the frilly penny and somehow ha- having been demasculated uh, by doing some of these things. And of course, that's not the case. A strong man who looks after the children is a wonderful dad, a wonderful husband. But it's, again, the society perceptions. And if one as a woman can help uh, in the conversation with one's partner to help the family unit reframe his role as one of something as as like like an engineer, which is in in the pit stop, which is a, a very masculine role. And actually, Masculine vulnerability is one of the sexiest, most beautiful things. And so having that conversation, and, and I, I love what you say about actually, if you're too controlling about how things are done, because you've just, and, and that and controlling, and, and I say it in a neutral way, because I think anxiety makes us want to control things because we feel that's a way of giving us security. And if that, we do that and then make people feel useless. And, and I am absolutely guilty of that. And I'm quite ashamed to, to admit it. And I'm kind of sort of, uh, do I admit this or not? But, but you know, one has to say it, that you make someone else feel that they can't do something because you're micromanaging. And actually, having a dinner cooked for you, how wonderful. Sit back, enjoy that. Having the bathroom clean, oh, well, clean bathroom. doesn't have to be perfectly, perfectly done the way that, that you would do it. Absolutely. Absolutely agree with you there. I, I think this idea of letting go is very, very liberating. And there's so much that we could do in many aspects of our life, actually. Just be present and enjoy the moment, not think about the past and not think about the things that are not done, but enjoy, enjoy this moment and, and celebrate being the main earner because that's the position that means that you are able to earn you are able to support your family and you are able to make a difference. Now, your own journey started with humble beginnings, growing up in a council estate in northwest London to a teen mum. You are now a global female leader with an OBE awarded by the Queen. Summarising it like that in two sentences makes your journey sound ah, easy peasy, but I'm sure it took a lot of hard work and tenacity. Can you share with us some of the anxieties and challenges that you have faced yourself um, and also talk about how you found the courage to keep showing up every day on your life's journey? I think I've had lots of anxieties and concerns as I've gone along the way. I think the first was going out into business on my own. I'd uh, only worked in organizations, mostly had a family of people who who worked in in businesses, in organizations. And it was a big leap into the unknown. And I had a lot of questioning of, isn't coaching just a fad? You know, why are you giving up your pension? What are you going to do with your life? Those sorts of things. And I wasn't completely sure. And there were times when the phone definitely wasn't ringing. I was posting on social media and no one was responding. And I was questioning, am I going to be able to manage this? Am I going to be able to put myself forward? So those questions, then there were 
oh my goodness, I've got to put myself out there. I've got to walk into rooms where no one knows me and I've got to show up as myself and market myself. Uh, lots of anxiety over that. How do I, how do I do that? How do I go into rooms? How do I talk about what I do? How do I get them interested in me? How can I do this all in a genuine and authentic way? All of those anxieties, many times walking into rooms where people have look, looked at me blankly <laughs> and with a questioning stare as to why are you here? Or, or that's what I felt they've been doing. Um, um, and all of the sort of small talk you do to try and build relationships. I think speaking to big groups of people, I've had a lot of anxiety over that. I definitely wasn't a natural public speaker. Uh, I, I had some training after I wrote my book so that I could make sure I could speak. Before that, when I used to work in organizations, my knees would knock, my voice would shake. I, I wouldn't be able to public speak. Um, so some of those anxieties, then employing people and wondering if I'm going to be able to pay their salaries and definitely some sleepless nights at times thinking, Oh my goodness, am, am I going to be able to keep this going? I don't know if I can with the ups and downs of business and also having a family alongside that. You know, I've got a 21 year old daughter. She's had ups and downs in her, uh, in her schooling life in her life and trying to think, can I be a good mum? If I'm really honest, that's probably been the, being good mum alongside working has probably been the, the sort of the big balancing, just making sure, am I physically there? Am I mentally there? Um, is there more I can do to really support my daughter as she grows and develops? So actually, you have lived the journey of your clients. Everything that we've talked about, you have lived through the challenges and anxieties and embodied it and, and moved out, moved through it at the other end. So how did you uh, overcome these anxieties and challenges to emerge the other side? Yeah, that's a, such a great question. I think for myself, in terms of how I move through my fears and my anxieties, my concerns, is embedding it in why I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, it's so important for me. I think it's uh, Nietzsche who says, he who has uh, a why to live can bear almost any how. I think that's for me what it is. Why am I doing it? Every Everything I do, I, I'm very much connected with it at a values level. So my business, supporting women, I really do care about the lives of women. I really do think that women who are the main earner don't have a voice and people don't talk about that. And I think it's really important. I started a social enterprise to support teenagers about seven years ago when my daughter was having some challenges. And it's very much my problem that I decided to help other people with, um, realized that young people needed to be inspired, needed to be, to see that there was so much opportunity out there for them, um, needed to support their self-esteem and mental health. And so built that. So I guess for me, I see problems in my life. I'm not saying they're the worst problems. People have, you know, much bigger problems than I've ever had, but I see problems in my life, which are in society. And I think I could do something about that. And so I'm very deeply connected with that. Why? And that means, gosh, you know, that means you go beyond yourself. It's really not about you feeling nervous speaking to someone going to a networking event and, or any of those things. It's not about the fact that you're, you're worrying if you're going to pay salaries next month. It's about 
getting that message to more people to be able to help them. And I think when that why is bigger than yourself, you have more courage than you'd ever imagine to go beyond what you thought was possible. So I think the why, first of all, but I think the second thing is I continue to challenge myself. I never, I don't, every year I think, what will take me out of my comfort zone? What haven't I done yet? And I challenge myself to do it. And I'm not wedded to worrying about being perfect or, or even success. Actually, I'm not wedded to any of those things now. I'm just, I'm wedded to learning. And so I know if I try it, I will learn something from that experience. Just every time I step out of my comfort zone and I try something new, I'm better for it. And I don't always win and I don't always succeed, but I always learn something that will help me later. Even if I bid for work and I don't win it, the process of putting that bid together helps me for the next one. I'm very wedded to learning from my experience and stretching myself. But but ultimately, it's about having a really clear why. Wow, that is just so amazing. I've just jotted all that down. Small steps, knowing your why, knowing your purpose, challenging your comfort zone, learning, and never mind about the occasional failure. It's a question of asking what you've learned uh, in that process. For season two, the theme is anxiety and courage. And I've spoken to quite a number of, of other really inspiring women alongside yourself. And a number of these themes keep coming up. And the core one that I want to just touch on is, is purpose, knowing why you're doing it. And that takes you out of yourself. And for me, doing this podcast about anxiety a little bit like you, I realized, oh gosh, I'm, I, I have anxiety and it has limited my life. And it's made me sometimes a horrible person because the, trying to hold in the anxiety has made me grouchy and, and angry and not very nice person. And I realized it was really scary to be able to talk about it in public like this. But when I started just talking to a few people, so many people said, oh my goodness, you know, I have anxiety too. And I realized my problem is not just my problem. It, there are so many people experiencing it. And in my own way, this podcast is about that purpose, that connecting uh, with others. And, and hopefully speaking to someone like you who has achieved so much, who has an OPE from the Queen, actually in a very open, vulnerable way saying that you experienced anxiety too, and that your journey was not just in a, in a blink of an eye, you became this wonderful person. But it took time and challenges and baby steps that for someone who's in that early process for them, I'm hoping that that will give them hope and give them a sense, you know, I'm not the only one. There are other people like that. And people who seem very successful also have uh, this very, very human feeling of, of anxiety. So thank you so much for, for being so honest and, and frank about your experiences. Oh, I'm happy to. And thank you so much for creating this podcast so people can hear and share. And and to be honest, COVID was a, a real, uh, maybe for everyone, but definitely a time when I actually felt probably the worst anxiety of my life. I had to stop watching the news. I had to stop listening to all of the information that was happening because I was actually getting shortness of breath as I listened to what was going on in the world. That was probably the worst anxious I've, I've been. Yes, I think everybody did experience versions of, of that. And actually, it's quite difficult because we were, I found I was, I wanted to find out, I wanted to hear 
about it. So I'd watch the news, but then it would just get me to such a state that sometimes you just had to make yourself uh, turn off the news and try to enjoy that moment. Try to enjoy the fact that you had time to read, you had time to go for walks and just get little, little joys and, and be very grateful that uh, I was one of the people who, who was able to maintain my health yeah. um, because of these measures mm-hmm. and try to think of it in a positive way. Um, I'd like to move on now to, to the workplace. You work with corporations as well as people working in corporations. And generally, many of these corporations are male dominated and it can be challenging and daunting for women. And especially for those like me who are from an ethnically diverse background uh, and being in a minority seeming to be different from anyone else can make us feel anxious and affect our sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Can you tell us about your work empowering women and others in these kinds of situations? Yeah, if I think about the UK, where the majority group are in in business are white men, particularly at the top of organisation, what we often find is that people from ethnically diverse backgrounds, um, they start off maybe fifty percent people from ethnically diverse background, fifty percent people from the who are white, and as they go up the ranks, they fall away, and you find less and less people from ethnically diverse backgrounds progressing to senior roles. I I started to look at that. I was talking to audiences and not seeing myself as a black woman reflected back in the audience. Started to look at what that could be and saw, yeah, really, you know, they talk about a glass ceiling, maybe a concrete ceiling stopping people progress. And for many reasons that um, in many ways are not reasons, you know, the not quite fitting uh, perhaps not having quite the right accent, perhaps not having those informal relationships that mean that you get a sponsor. And just that sort of hyper visibility and invisibility. So being very visible for the mistakes you make, but being invisible when those stretch opportunities, the promotions, the exciting projects come along. And it can be very, very challenging for people from ethnically diverse backgrounds in the UK workforces to be able to progress and really unleash their talent. They're often, I think, considered for their track record, not for their potential. And they don't get the opportunity to get that track record. And so that potential that they have is is not unlocked, which is really uh, an awful shame. So the work we do is really to help people from ethnically diverse backgrounds navigate the workplace and break through that glass ceiling. But they cannot do that alone. So all of the programs that we deliver, sort of six to eight month programs, include their line managers developing themselves as well and having a sponsor, having someone who will advocate for them, open doors for them, give them stretch opportunities, introduce them to their network. And that sponsor is more senior than their line manager. So that informal relationship that might happen normally for the majority group because they find something in common with the senior leader that doesn't happen for someone from an ethnically diverse background. We formalize it to make it happen. We help their line managers become more educated, become more equipped to have conversations about race and ethnicity, but also consider what it means to be equitable. That means not to treat every single member of staff the same, but to think about what they actually need uh, to level the playing field. They might not have gone gone to debating society at school and be equipped in the same way that someone who has. Um, they might not be familiar with what it means to politically navigate the workplace 
where someone whose family have done that for years and years might know what to do. They might be backs and biased because they have an accent. Uh, how do we counter that bias without making the person change who they are? So we help line managers to understand the challenges and think about what they can do to really help their colleagues uh, be, be equally equipped to go for role and have equal outcomes to the majority group. We're also running allyship programs as well um, for managers and leaders to think about how they can be a true ally to those from ethically diverse backgrounds in the workplace too. So that assumes that the corporation and the workplace is open to some of these ideas, open to looking at their world in a different way. Are you finding that that is more and more the case or are there still organisations where it's like, well, no, we've always done this this way. Why are you trying to bang on the door and be difficult? There are targets out there with organisations now. Following the killing of George Floyd, many organisations know that to remain competitive um, and also to create inclusive environments where everyone feels that they belong, they have to do something and they will be losing top talent. They will not retain people if they cannot be better. So many large organizations are definitely trying to do something. I would say at the board level, quite often it's because they have to diversify their board rather than they want to diversify their board. I would say it's still not the probably the right environment for a lot of people from ethnically diverse backgrounds. I think the people they want in the board are people as similar to them as possible, but ticking the box of being from an ethnically diverse background rather than really appreciating and wanting difference in thought, in being, in perspective. And what are some of the benefits, actually, if one can take away those blinders uh, around ethnic diversity in the workplace? What are some of the benefits for a workplace of, of any size to have a range of different types of people? You'll miss things without it. And at, at the, the worst level, it means you get cancelled on social media and <laughs> in the media. You know, just generally you're cancelled because you didn't have the right person in the room and you missed something completely. But on a, on a much smaller level, that creativity, you know, I, in my small business, try to get as much diversity as possible. And people just give me different ideas and different ways of, of, of thinking about things. And that means I can be agile. I can be creative. I can be competitive. I also just think this is the right thing to do, that it's been long enough that we've had this very unequal society. I think there's a groundswell of desire to do things differently. And it's not just about racial or, or gender balance. It's about age. It's about um, neurodiversity. It's about sexual orientation. But it's about creating places where we, most of the time we're pretending that we're the same as everyone else and we're also unique and it's a, it's about time we just started embracing this uniqueness recognizing our own superpowers and being able to use them imagine that how much would be how much would be out there how much difference we could all make if we could be ourselves be valued for what we bring and be able to really use that to use our strengths to their full potential wow superpowers fantastic superpowers in our uniqueness and in our difference and it occurs to me that this, uh, I don't want anybody different, is anxiety. It's a fear of people who are different. It's a fear of something, the unknown. I don't know you. I don't know what manners are like. I don't know anything about you because uh, you're not like me. And it's much easier to have someone who's like me in my company. 
And so it's an anxiety. And, and perhaps also it comes out of a, a, a paucity mindset that there's not enough to go around. But if you change that to an abundance mindset, actually having more people who are diverse and different, we, it can promote growth. It, it creates abundance and you don't have to be anxious about it because if you look at the positives, there's much more exciting things that you can do with creative thinking from all kinds of different avenues of life. And somehow being able to dispel that anxiety. Um, I don't know what your thoughts about that are at that sort of big, big level. How, what you, what we can do. Yes. I, I think it, it, it depends on who you are, but I think it's worth acknowledging that if you have been in a position where you have had some advantage all of your life, whether or not you acknowledge that, when we start to level things up, it can feel like something is taken away from you. I think it's worth acknowledging that. But, you know, what I always say is for everyone to win, no one has to lose. And if you have some kind of advantage, so I am, you know, a heterosexual black woman. In some situations, as a black woman, I would experience discrimination. But in other situations, being heterosexual, I have an advantage if I'm with a group who are experiencing discrimination because of their sexual orientation to be able to support those people from my position of privilege, because I never get discriminated again because of my sexual orientation. And I think it's really important to help people recognize that actually you have, if you have some sort of advantage, instead of thinking, I don't have it, number one, or I should be ashamed of the fact that I have this advantage, how can you use it with power and humility? How can you support others with it? So moving away from this, oh my goodness, I, I'm not going to have as much as I did to actually I have something and I can share it. And it, when I share it, I lose nothing. When I share it, I, I give out more, but nothing is lost. And, and I think that's where I really want to help people come from. And my book that's coming out in February 2023, it, it's, that's exactly what it's about. It's called Equality Versus Equity. And it's about this idea of how can we create equity in our workplaces and ultimately in society. And through doing that, actually, no one loses anything. Everyone benefits. Oh, I love that. I'll put a link to your book in the show notes page. Now, what are some of the anxieties that might hold women back from taking on leadership roles in their workplace? And how can we step into our courage and confidence to become the leaders that actually our society needs? Yeah, I think one of the, the first is if we look at those leadership roles and there's no one who looks like us. So there's no representation. We might think, well, maybe no other, maybe women can't do it. No other woman has done it before me. All the women who have done it before have left. So, uh, does that mean I can't do it either? They say you can't be it if you can't see it. That's not necessarily true, but there can be that feeling. I think there could be also a feeling of isolation. I am on my own. Uh, who is going to support me? There's no one I can just turn to and who's going to really understand my lived experience. Can I cope with all of the other responsibilities that I have in life? Because typically women do have outside of workplace responsibilities and they don't normally have a wife kind of person who can, who can support them. Of course, that's not always true, but that, that can be the case. And there's, there's also just the general sexism that can be experienced. I've heard men say, you know, I don't want to go on a business trip with a woman in case people think there's something going on between us. And 
and that sort of thing. So they can be held at arm's length. Sometimes women can, and that can, of course, stop them being able to really make the most of a, a role that they're in. And so how do we address those? How do we pull ourselves through th- this anxiety around some of these challenges? One of the big things, I think, is your network and your support system. I, I think you need both of those things. Women who lift you higher, role models. So even if there are no role models in your business, where can you find role models in society or in your industry? That's a really good starting point. When I first started my business, I joined a network called the 2010 Club. It doesn't exist anymore. But there were um, black female entrepreneurs and some of them were just doing amazing things. And when I had a bad week, I'd listen to them and I think, well, they're doing things like, you know, they have bad weeks, but they have great weeks. And so I can too. I, I think a coach, a sponsor, a mentor, having all of these people around you to talk to, to encourage, to support you can really help you build your courage, build your resilience um, and help you move forward. And also having the support you need at home. What do you need to put in place so that you know that you can give what you need to to this role in terms of childcare, elder care, um, whatever it is? Think about what you need to put in place to enable you to be successful. And then the other thing I'd say is there are so many mediocre men out there. Just look around in your organization. The people who lead you, people at your level, there are mediocre men leading you. There are leader, mediocre men leading many organizations. I'm sure you're, you won't be mediocre because you're going for these roles. But if these mediocre men can be successful, why can't you? You know, what, in, instead of why me? Why not me? Uh, so that's the, that's the big question I'd ask myself. And then remember that when you're in the role, you can change things. You probably can't change your organization, the system, the way things are done so powerfully from the position you're in. The more senior you are, the more influence you, you will have and the more you can change it for the next generation of women coming through. And you'll be an amazing role model for them. So those are just some of the ways I think that you can really fire yourself up to have that courage to go for it. Wow, what a rallying cry. I think this is a perfect place to end our conversation. Uh, Jenny Garrett, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure and thank you so much for inviting me. And I think this is such a great podcast that everyone should listen to. Really good topic, this idea of anxiety and bringing it out into the open so that we can all work on it. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. My guest today was Jenny Garrett OBE. You can find links to some of the things we talked about on the show notes page, where there are also photos and credits. Go to my website, tigerspirit.co.uk, and click through to The Anxiety Advantage. If you'd like to listen to other stories of anxiety and courage in this season too, You can look out for the episode later in this series about anxiety, PTSD and the courage to thrive with trauma specialist Lou Lebens. Or check out adventurer Belinda Kirk talking about anxiety and stepping out of our comfort zone. There are also all the episodes of season one where my various guests discuss how we can transform anxiety into a friend and ally. These podcasts share my personal experience and perspective, and I do not claim to speak for everyone who may be living with anxiety. 
I'm not an expert and have no medical or counselling qualifications. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only. Views expressed by my guests are entirely their own and do not represent my views. If you are affected by anything in these podcasts, please seek the advice of your doctor or other qualified professional. I hope you will follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's free. New episodes will then pop into your pod listening app as soon as they are published. Also, if you have particularly enjoyed this episode or the podcast generally, I hope you will leave me a lovely review on your podcast listening app or simply give the podcast a positive star rating. That will tell the algorithm elves that this is a podcast worth listening to. And hopefully that will help other anxious or courageous people find the anxiety advantage. Or please just share this podcast with your friends by email, WhatsApp, or wherever you share stuff. Wouldn't it be amazing if more people could find out that they are courageous types rather than anxious types? I'm Yang Mei Ui. The website link again is tigerspirit.co.uk and then click through to The Anxiety Advantage. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram where I'm at tigerspirituk. Or you can simply Google the podcast, The Anxiety Advantage and my name, Yang Mei Ui. Thank you for listening and see you again soon.